0: Thank you so much, Rachel, for singing that heart, for singing that song from your heart. What a joy that was. That blessed my heart. I know it blessed yours. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're going to pick up where we left off this morning in verse number 15 and following. Uh, we simply said, just by way of um, introduction, that Paul, in writing verse number 14, uh, first of all shared with us uh, if you would that there is a charge to flee he charged us to flee idolatry get out of the way run from it he says get out of there and then tonight we're coming back to share the second point and the second point is found in verses 15 all the way down to verse number 22 in verses 15 through 22 he gives us a commitment to follow A commitment to follow. So there's a charge to flee, but then there's a commitment to follow. Uh, Dear friend, remember, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, more than anything, what he wanted them to do was have a greater commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, in this particular section of Scripture, he's going to be addressing one of his favorite topics. And that is the topic of Christian liberty. And in regards to Christian liberty, he just basically said uh, three basic things. We're looking at the third one now. He said, when it comes to spiritual growth, we have liberty in Christ. But if the liberty that we have in Christ hinders the spiritual growth of a young believer, then we need to limit our spiritual freedom. We need to watch out. If meat makes our brother and sisters stumble, then we ought not to eat meat. He says we just need to be careful. And then he said a second thing in regard to our Christian liberty, and that's concerning the gospel. He says that we need to make sure that if our Christian liberty will advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, then take full advantage of it. If our Christian liberty will hinder the advancement of Christ, then we need to put that in check. We need to make sure that that is uh, in check. And that's in in chapter number 9. But here he says in this particular passage of Scripture that we need to make sure that we're walking with Jesus every day because if not, we could fall into the trap of idolatry. And in regard to that, he just simply says that we are to flee from that. And we found in verse number 14 of chapter 10... He says that there's three things there. We said, first of all, in that that text, he says, my dearly beloved. We just simply said that was a dearness in the charge, that he loved them. He loved the church at Corinth, regardless of how wicked they were. They were saved by grace, and they were growing up in Jesus Christ. And he says, I deeply, deeply love you. You're dear to me. And then he says, flee. Use the word flee. There's the dispatch in the charge saying that you need to get out you need to run away from any type of worship service that would be towards a false god flee he says from fornication and then we said that word from fornication was the danger in the charge and we just simply said that I Idolatry exists today in many forms and we just took the form of philosophy and the philosophy of this world today in its hedonism and in its humanism, in its political correctness, in its feminine nature that we have today, feminism uh, that is unbiblical, the unbiblical aspect of that feminism. All of these things, we need to be running away from those things. We ought not to be participating in... In the worship that the culture gives us and invites us to be involved in, we need to run away and run towards Jesus Christ. But then in verse number 16, he switches gears a little bit, and he gives us a commitment to follow. A commitment to follow. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let's just read verses 15 and following. He says, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything... Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Idols is anything. But I say that the thing which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. That word fellowship is the key here in this particular passage of Scripture. And we'll deal with that here in just a moment. Verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then he continues on with that very familiar passage there in verse 23 where he says, All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Saying, in our Christian liberty, I've got the liberty to do whatever I want. But that liberty is not always best. Not always the best, he says. And he says, all things there are lawful to me, but all things edify not. we got to be careful that we're edifying our brothers and sisters. And we'll deal with that next week. So uh, let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated uh, this evening. So in this section, Paul gives a logical flow. You'll notice it's very logical. He gives this logical flow to his instructions to commit yourself to Christ and his teaching in regards to the unity that exists... between brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we flee idolatry. We flee that. We run away from that. So let's look together if you would. There's five subpoints here in this section that I want to point out that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Now the reason why Paul uses logic is because those in, in Corinth were very philosophical. They like to reason. They like to think about in their minds and in their heads about how things flow. Uh, we call this today apologetics. It's not that we apologize for our faith by any stretch of the imagination. Apologetics is simply making sense in our head what we believe in our heart. And so Paul says, as a born-again child of God, you know what you believe in your heart. Now, I'm going to logically try to walk through this to help you so that you'll believe it in your head. And he does five things in order to do that. Number one, the first thing he does is he initiates respect. He initiates respect. Look at verse 15 again, if you have your Bibles. He says, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. He says, I want you to take the time to listen very carefully to the words that I'm going to speak to you, I'm going to write to you. I want you to examine them and I want you to judge them. I want you to look, to use your logic by which you were so proud of to logically, systematically think about what I have to say so that you can think about it and say that, see that what the Lord says regarding this is true. What I'm telling you is should be settled down in your head. It ought to be reasonable in your mind and it ought to settle down in your heart. He begins this by initiating respect, number two. The second thing that he does is found in verse 16 and 17. He includes a reminder He includes a reminder. Paul is going to remind the believers of something very, very important. Let's look at it, and let's follow along in the Scriptures and see what he says. He says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, For we are all partakers of that one bread. So here I want you to see in this particular passage of Scripture, Paul is making a point to connect the dots in regards to communion or the Lord's Supper and the unity that we share together in this wonderful, wonderful ordinance that the Lord gave us. Remember, God gave us two ordinances. Uh, Jesus gave us two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a picture we see this we saw at the 11 o'clock hour uh, brother Bob as he was baptized and I made a very very serious mistake in that first hour I should never. Uh, publish the age of anybody. I said he was 80. He's actually 70. So, but the bottom line is simply this uh, he was baptized this uh, morning and so excited about being baptized, by the way. He was buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection, talking about Jesus. So we saw a beautiful picture of the death of Jesus Christ as the water intersected his body, the burial of Jesus Christ as he went under the water, and the resurrection of Christ as he come up out of the water. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an identification. Just as I'm wearing a wedding ring today, this identifies me as being married. So too, baptism identifies me as being a child of God. I'm a born-again child of of the king. And so that's an ordinance that God gave us. And then the second ordinance that we have is that of the Lord's Supper. Man, I tell you what, I am so grateful that we get to fellowship around the Lord's table at the Lord's Supper and our communion services. There's been very few since I've been here over the past four years where we didn't have somebody saved at our communion service. And that's when people should be saved. Why? Again, it's a picture it is a picture of the blood of Jesus. It's a picture of the, uh, if you would, of the body of Jesus. And we think about, and the Bible tells us, Jesus said, Remember, as often as you do this, remember me. Remember me. And when you remember what the Lord did all those years ago, born of a virgin, dying on the cross, being buried, and on the third day, coming up from the dead, when you think about those wonderful uh, doctrinal truths, No wonder the Holy Spirit grips hearts and people come to know Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So he's reminding them of this oneness that we have when we come to the Lord's table and we celebrate our common salvation and eternal life that is only found through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are remembering and fellowshipping together. I'd love for you to take your your pens and look at verse number 17 again. Uh, For he says there in that text, he says, for we being many. There's a lot of believers all over the world. And all the believers all over the world have been commissioned and encouraged by Jesus Christ to partake of the Lord's Supper, to practice this ordinance. And so he says, we being many all over the world, church universal, are one body. We're one body. Uh, he says there, uh, being many, there's one bread and one body. And he says we partake of the one bread. What is that? Jesus was the only one. He's the only one. He was one bread. We partake of the bread of life. He's the only bread of life. And we are one body. That is, we are one, one church. For we are all, he says, partakers of that one body. Every church. That uh, Jesus is the center, the Word of God, the true church that participate. We are all one body. Uh, We uh, have, uh, and I wouldn't dare embarrass anybody that's here, we have guests tonight uh, and they're here visiting with us and they are part of one body. They're members of another church and many of you are members of of another church. But you're part of the one church universal, the church of Jesus Christ. And for that, we praise God for. He includes a reminder. He says, remember... You were one with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We partook of this one bread. There's this sharing, if you would. Now, number three. Here's the third thing he does. He Remember, he's logically making his way through his argument. It's found in verse number 18. The next thing he does is he initiates a relationship. He initiates a relationship. Look at what he says in verse number 18. He says, Behold. That word behold there is an attention getter. He's wanting them to listen to what I'm saying. It's like he's clapping his hands. It's The word behold is almost as if, it's like when you put your hands on your children's shoulders and say, all right boys, listen to me. All right, sweetheart, listen to what I have to say. I need you to listen. Behold, he says, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What's he saying there? He says, I want you to think about it in regards to Judaism. And remember, he's he's going to be discussing this issue, participating in pagan worship services just to get the meat that, that comes out of that. And he says right here, he says, I want to use Israel as my example. He says, Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar? That is, when they made the sacrifice, after the sacrifice was made, the priest got a little bit, the one that made the sacrifice got a little bit, and they partook of that sacrifice on that day. It was an act of worship. And so he says there in the text, he says, I want you to remember that because that relationship, if you would, was a relationship between Israel and God. And so what he's telling us here in this passage of Scripture, he says, likewise, the sacrifice to an idol is also to identify with that worship service, to participate with the idol worship, and to participate in such a a way that you're part of that worship, you're part of that sacrifice. Paul is saying that it is inconsistent for believers to participate in any expression of worship that is a part and contrary to worshiping Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now let me just apply it if I could, because what Paul is saying here in this New Testament day is simply this. Don't buy the meat sacrifice the day of that sacrifice. They're worshiping in there. Don't get into that worship service and they sacrifice that animal and you get a little bit of that meat. Don't do it on that day. You need to limit your Christian freedom on that day. And there's a reason why. Because there's a relationship there. You're participating in that worship. Same is true here when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're participating in that worship together. We're worshiping Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he indicates that relationship. Then number four, watch this, very quickly. Verses 19, 20, and 21. He insists on a rejection. He insists on a rejection. Look at what the Bible says in verse 19 as we make our way through the text. He says there in verse number 19, What say I then? That the idol is anything... Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Now let me stop right there and say something parenthetically. Verse 19 is a reference to chapter 8 verse 4. Let's go over there and look at it. Let's remember what he said. Remember this whole thing started in chapter 8 verse 1. This whole argument, this whole teaching that Paul's giving here in regard to our Christian liberty, the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ started in chapter 8 verse 1. And the subject was just simply this. The question, Paul, can we eat the meat that was offered to sacrifices? Can we do that? Is that legal? Will we be in trouble with God if we do that? Because what was happening is you had some believers that was going, you better not eat that. You better not do it. That, that was sacrificed to... to, to uh, Whatever God uh, that was there, little g, that day, don't eat that. Don't eat that sacrifice. And then you had others that said, oh, come on. That, that idol's not real. This food is discounted. Look, it's in the meat market. It's really good. It's prime, prime rib. It's going to be good. Let's get it. And so you had these two conflicting things going on, and so Paul picks up a moment, but look what he says in chapter 8, verse 4. He says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though they be that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, "...the Father, whom are all things, and we are in Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him." Paul just simply says this. He says, listen, Christian, you know that that sacrifice in this world is nothing. And it's okay to eat. But, and again, he treks on down chapter 8 and says this, "...it's okay for you to eat it and buy it out of the meat market, but if it hinders the spiritual growth of a young Christian..." Do not buy it. Don't buy it. You're hurting that individual's being raised up in Jesus Christ. Don't do it. And then again, he takes it a step further in chapter number 9, when he just says this... He says, if your spiritual freedom advances the gospel, that is you go into the meat market and you buy that uh, piece of meat that was offered to an idol knowing that it was nothing, he says, you buy that and the clerk behind the desk says, I thought you were a Christian. And the door opens and you can share the gospel with them and they get saved. He said, go for it. Man, that's an advancement of the gospel. But if you go in there and that guy is not open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, I can't believe that you're buying that. Then put it back and say, well, just give me that secondhand stuff over there. Uh, I'll, I'll take the baloney. Just give me the baloney and I'll, I'll come back later uh, when you're ready. He says, Limit your spiritual freedom in that regard. And now, here in this text, he takes it a step further, not contradicting himself, but what he's saying is, Do not participate in a worship experience where they're sacrificing the idol and you buy the meat directly off of the altar. You are participating in. In that uh, in that activity, and look at what he says there. He goes on to say, uh, if you would, in verse number twenty. But I say that the thing which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Don't go to their worship service. Don't go to what he is calling their communion service. Do not do it, flee from it, run away from it, reject it, get away from it. Why? Because it is demonic. He says, they may not know it, but it may be nothing to you. But I'm telling you, he says, there's a demonic presence upon that. Look at verse 21. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. He says, you're trying to be ecumenical in this thing, and it does not work out. Now, there's a huge ecumenical movement that's been going on now for many, many, many years. If you know what the ecumenical movement is, would you just raise your hand real high so I can see you? Okay, you can put them down. Some don't. Ecumenicalism is saying, well, it's okay to, to mix our inner faiths together and just enjoy a corporate worship together. So we'll, it'll be us, the, the Baptists, and the Methodists, and the Catholics, and the Mormons, and the Jehovah Witnesses. We'll just all come together in a public place, and and, uh, it'll just be a wonderful time of worship together. No. You ought not participate in that. No. They don't worship the same God you worship. I always get in a lot of trouble right there because any I, anytime I heap uh, Catholics into that category that I do Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, it always comes back on me in the negative. I want you to hear my heart now. Please listen to me. I'm not condemning anybody. I don't have the power to do that. But I'm telling you, I've been in ministry for over 20 years and the Word of God says if there's anything that takes precedence over Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He made, then that is idol worship. So you cannot worship Mary. You cannot confess your sins to a priest. That is against the Word of God. It goes against what the Bible says. Listen, I don't hate Catholics. I don't. I love them. We have a lot of Catholics come to know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord right here. They come out of Catholicism and they realize that Jesus is the only sacrifice. Mary can't pray you out of heaven. You can't pay penance to get uh, or pray you out of hell. You can't do penance to get you out of hell. It is only by Jesus Christ and what you do with Him living on this side that you get saved. Oh. I shared this, uh, I shared it, where did I share this last? I shared this on Friday night with our preschool department. The most precious, precious thing, precious. Last, it's been about two or three Sundays ago, I was standing down here, and at the end of the service, I stand here and minister, and we have a dear, dear, sweet, sweet family that uh, they were in Catholicism, and they heard the gospel, and they searched the scriptures, saw the truth, came forward, gave their heart and lives to Jesus Christ, surrendered for baptism, and uh, they were expecting a baby. And they had that precious baby just a couple of weeks ago. Well, a few, a few weeks ago, they were in church, and they came right down this aisle right here. And they came down the aisle, and they came to me. We're standing right here. And their Sunday school teachers were with us, and we just kind of gathered together. and We ooed and awed on the baby and, you know, and, and just had a great time of fellowship. And then I said, I'd like to pray for the baby. And the husband said, that'd be great. And so we all gathered around together in a little huddle, and we prayed for the baby. And remember, this is a brand-new born-again Christian, Sue, so just out of the Catholic religion, and now is a Christian. And we're praying together. And when I get done, I say amen. And the dad looks up, tears streaming down his face, and he says, thank you, Father. And I, and I just kind of smiled, and I said, you're welcome, brother. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's what he knew. That's what he knew. And to watch him grow up in Jesus Christ is so sweet. To watch him grow up in the Lord, to know that I'm not his father. God is the father. He's the father. And we don't have to. You don't have to confess your sins to me. Bless God, you can go straight to him. I'm grateful for that. I don't want to know the mess y'all do. Good night. He initiates this rejection. He says, Listen, you got to understand that there are demons. It's demonic to participate in something like this. He says, These idols represent that which is demonic. Demons are the spiritual force behind idolatry. That's what he's saying here in the text. Those who sacrifice to idols, sacrifice to demons. When worshipers believe an idol represents an actual god, little g, Satan sends one of his demons to act out the part of that imaginary little god. There is never a god behind the idol. Did you hear what I said? There is never a god, little g, behind an idol. But there is always a spiritual force. And that spiritual force is always demonic. So you believe in demons, Pastor? You better believe I do. Man, I tell you what, some of the things that I've seen as pastor been called to houses. Man, it would curl the hair on the back of your neck. I'm telling you, it's real. I've, I've seen it. I've seen spiritual battle, been involved in spiritual battles. And I'm here to tell you one of the things that I say when I come in some of those areas is that you need to get rid of those idols. You need to get those things out of the house. I shared uh, uh, with... Uh, I believe it was the early service. I had a dear, sweet lady who's uh, received Jesus Christ as her Savior. She, too, came out of the Catholic uh, religion. And she uh, got with Judy, and Judy called me up and said, Pastor, said, she really needs to talk to you. Can you meet with her? I said, where are you at? She told me where she's at. I said, y'all got some time right now? She said, yeah. I said, y'all come on over. She came over to my office with her, and they both sat down in my office. And this is what she said. Now, she's a new believer in Jesus Christ. She, too, say, "She said, I searched the Scripture. I've searched the scripture. I've seen that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the only way to get to heaven. She says, I've given my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. She said, here's the problem that I have, Pastor. After I got saved, when I walked in my house, I noticed all the idols. I said, what are you talking about? She says, we got candles in our home that have Mary on them. We've got little figurines of Mary. We even have pictures and symbols of Jesus on the cross. I see those things, she said, and they're idols. What I know about Jesus is He's not on the cross. He is not on the cross. He died once and for all that we all might be saved. One time, He's not a continually, perpetually on some spiritual cross uh, being sacrificed for our sin. No, He did it once for all. She said, I know this about Mary. Mary had other children. She was not a perpetual virgin her whole life, and even still today. She was a virgin when she had Jesus, but she was not a perpetual virgin. And with that said, she is not some form of, of minor deity by which we pray to. And right there, she spilled the beans, man. She said, that's what I'm asking you to do, Pastor. I'm asking you to pray for my husband. Because those idols will never get out of the house until he gets saved. So we're praying for her husband. That he'd come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. She'd get those idols out of the house. I want you to notice here, if you would, the rejection there in verse number uh, 21. Where he says just simply this. He says, ye, talking about the church. He says, Corinthians, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. He said, you just can't do it. You can't do it. And then watch this. He goes to this last one, and I close. He uh, interjects a reason. Verse 22, in the form of two questions, is the reason why he says all this. Look at what he says there. He says, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? And then he says, are we stronger than he? Being the, are we stronger than God? So Paul brings his thoughts to this conclusion by asking these two questions. Question number one, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? God has a healthy jealousy for you. It's healthy. It's divine. Can I, Let me put it this way, if I could illustrate it. The relationship, those of you that are married, that you have with your spouse, there's a healthy jealousy that exists between you and your spouse. There's a healthy jealousy that's there. Uh, many times, though, what happens when we get our eyes off Jesus and we take our eyes off of the healthy jealousy that exists between our relationship, a lot of times we'll put our, our uh, 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 relationship on somebody else, and then it becomes unhealthy. When it comes to God, He has a healthy jealousy for you that's holy. It's not sinful. Of course, God cannot sin. But simply God just simply says this, I will have no other competition. I will not have any other competition. This is why God said to Israel, listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 21. God said this to Israel. He said, you Israel have made me jealous with what is not God. It says, they have provoked me to anger with their idols. What made God uh, so jealous that he did something about it? The idols in their life. The idols in their life cause God to act upon and discipline His children. Did you know that that has not changed? It's still the same today. As a matter of fact, when you come to the ultimate conclusion, it's found in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. John, riding on the Isle of Patmos, listen to what he said. He said this, he says, But the fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable... And murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, uh, uh, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You provoke the Lord in His jealousy, His holy jealousy, there will be chastisement. He said, uh, adulterers, they will burn. And have a second death. Number two. Look at question number two. And I'm close. I'm out of time, I see. He says this. Are we stronger than he? Are we stronger than God? Do you really think that you're more powerful than God? I'm going to be honest with you. I've argued with the Lord many times throughout my Christian life. Could I say this? I have never won an argument with the Lord. I've never won. He has won every single argument. And basically, what it boils down to is me surrendering to Him and saying, God, I was selfish. I was trying to do my own thing. I release that to you. God will not allow uh, idolatry to go unpunished. And no one can escape it. Even His own children, even the New Testament Christians could not escape this in regards to what they were going through. So what are you you saying? Well these Christians, these Corinthians had done this and they were paying the price with their health and with their life. You see Paul's about to move in chapter 11, he's about to move into this area of communion, the Lord's Supper. But I want you to notice something that he says in first Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 30 that's worthy of our attention as we prepare to go into this section. Look at what he says there in uh, chapter 11, in verse number 30. He says this, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, that word sick there means that there's diseases in the camp. That word sleep there means that they have died. What he's saying there is some of you partook of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and because you did so, you're sick and you're dying. Now, what kind of unworthy manner were they participating in? Chapter 10. They really thought that they could go into these worship services, this ecumenical service, if you would, and participate in this false god worship and have an idol in their lives, and God was going to be okay with it. You know, there's a religion out there today that says the same thing. It says, you just be the best you you can be. It's called universalism. You just do whatever you want to do. You just be the, best, uh, uh, be the best Buddhist you want to be. Bless God, we're all going to the same place. So you just be the best Buddhist you're going to be. And when we get there, God's going to make everything right. Now listen to me. God's already made everything right. and He's already made everything right through Jesus Christ. And he tells us in the Word of God that today's the day of salvation. So what we have to ask ourselves, because remember, Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. So we, what we have to ask ourselves is just simply this. God, are there any idols in my life? Are there any idols in my life? Remember, an idol is anything that will take your loyalty and trust off of God and on to that object, idea, philosophy, sport, whatever, occupation, whatever it is. Is there anything in that in my heart? Man, I was so encouraged this morning after church. I, I bet I had, David, three or four people stop me. I mean, just pull me to the side and say, hey, that passage of Scripture really got me today. And I said, really, tell me about it. They said, you know when you were talking about social media and waking up and just jumping on social media and, and not really spending time with the Lord? I said, man, that really got me because I realized I'm doing that. I, I am not. I have, I have sacrificed... The time that I was spending with the Lord to being on social media. And she, and she just simply said this. And this happened more than once. There were several people that said about three. Said, listen. Said, I realized today that I was wrong. and I've asked God to forgive me. And I'm going to take just a little hiatus. I'm going to do a little fast on social media so I can get my quiet time back in order. But I'm going to tell you what, that right there is what needs to happen. God, are there any idols in my life? And if God says, yes, this right here, and he puts his finger on this right here is an idol in your life. You're spending more time with this. This has taken your attention off of your Bible study. It's taken your attention off of me. It's taken your loyalty to me away. It's taken your trust to me away. This little thing right here has become an idol in your life. And we need to confess that as sin. Take a little fast from it. While you're fasting, focus on Jesus. I want to make sure that I'm... Uh, I, I want to be balanced in this message. I'm not saying Facebook's the devil. Man, we reach a lot of people on Facebook. Uh, we, man, that's a, it is a great tool. But it becomes an idol when it overtakes us. And we're spending more time in social media rather than some more time with the Lord. We're not spending any time with the Lord. Because we're doing social media. So that seems to be one of the major issues. It used to be television, you know. Uh, it's not really television anymore, to be honest with you. In fact, we just cut our TV off. I'm sending dish back because every time I turn around, what's my kids doing? They're looking up YouTube videos. Bless God, YouTube. YouTube, that can become an idol in your life. i want to ask you this. Will you search your heart? Will you ask God, God, is there any idols in my life? Is there anything that I need to flee from? Because he's, remember, he said two things. There's a charge to flee. He says, run away from it. Then he says, make sure you're committed to the right worship service. You're committed to the right, the Lord's table, the right oneness. Not being associated with devils. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. My heart's desire is tonight you've seen the truth in the Word of God. Where Jesus said he's the only way. And tonight, you'll receive him as your your personal Savior and Lord. Right where you're sitting tonight, the Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can be saved today by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. Would you do that tonight, dear friend? Would you do that? Would you say something like this to the Lord? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. This evening I ask you to save my soul. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you in Jesus' name. Now before I say amen, maybe you're here today and maybe you're a born again child of God and maybe you've taken the challenge I've offered to you tonight and maybe you are searching your heart. God, are there any idols in my life? Maybe God's pointed out an idol in your life. I'm not going to ask you to confess it to me or or these altar workers, but here's what I'm going to give you an opportunity to do, to come and confess it to God. We have old-fashioned altars. You you know what gets a revival going? It's getting back to the basics. A praying church. A church that when it comes to the time of invitation, that is quickly fading in our culture that will examine themselves and see if they're in the faith and then responding by saying, God, I'm responding to what? The message we've heard from our pastor. Dear friend, I want to challenge you to do the same tonight. Would you search your heart? Would you come do business with God? You don't have to tell anybody else. Just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. Would you do that tonight? If you're here and you got saved and you prayed and asked Jesus to save you, I got two men standing here. Here's my challenge to you. Will you come? Would you just tell those men, tonight I prayed that prayer the pastor prayed tonight. I've got a book I want to give you just to help you grow in your faith. It's free. I just want to give it to you. Would you come and see these men tonight? Father, thank you for the Word of God. It is a lamp and a light. I pray in the name of Jesus, you'd bless this invitation. We love you. We ask it in your name. Amen.